I'm John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, we've got ourselves another... Super Mega Awesome Movie Review Madness! 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 With seven new release reviews, starting with the weekend of release titles, Breakthrough, Disney Nature's Penguins, and The Curse of La Llorona, followed by Unplanned, after The Public and The Mustang. So without further ado, let's get started. I'm supposed to walk alongside you for as long as it takes. Did you see the Facebook page? It's going viral. Call me. I hope he's going to be okay. We're not going to get through this alone. Whatever you have for me, from Brian, from John, very vocal about my sort of distaste for Christian movies, mainly because as someone who doesn't believe in that sort of thing, that they often come off as sort of the answer to all your problems is in Jesus, so you don't really have any problems. And here you've actually got a decent story. Uh, Breakthrough is based on the true story of a 14-year-old Guatemalan um boy who was adopted by missionaries uh, and then raised as their son. And one winter, he fell through the ice of a lake in uh, outside of St. Louis or some town in St. You know, right around St. Louis. And um, he fell into and he was presumed dead until he was miraculous. You know, he miraculously found life and uh, and, uh, he, you know, it was all the sort of road to recovery sort of thing and they and in all and most of the news reports by you know lesser news media and by people who have already kind of bought into the mythology they pin that on his mom his adoptive mom's uh very religious leaning the fact that she was super you know the fact that she prayed to god and he somehow came back to life when he could have just as easily just been back to life at that you know it's all coincidence it's not nothing none of, the, none of it is verifiable it's all simple coincidences that they've attached meaning to but that's that's a skeptic's view of it anyway um as for this movie it's better than a lot of stuff i mean we're going to talk about another a, a much more blatant exploitation movie in a bit with unplanned but with breakthrough i mean like it got the tenant, all the major tenets of it. I think that's the big, its biggest problem. It's got stuff like it removes Hot Damn from the beginning of Uptown Funk. Like it, it wants to play uh, Uptown Funk at the beginning of the movie, but then when it comes to the I'm too hot, Hot Damn, it removes the Hot Dams from that part of the song because you know bad bad words. Ooh. Even though I think the song's talking about like sex and stuff, uh, Uptown Funk's gonna give it to you. I mean, they know what it's about, right? Like, uh. so anyway, um, as yeah, the movie itself is kind of yeah, it's got you know it's got all the tenets of um, really bad uh, Christian movies, ma- namely the really you know the kind of generic acting, everything's uh, you know the everything's sort of reliant on uh jesus to do to save the day like and that's the thing is that they put so much emphasis on the fact that oh people prayed for you to recover and you did you know 
this this right after they emphasize the emergency medical um, servicemen and women, the doctors and nurses and hospital staff that actually helped you recover. Nah, it was the people who prayed and Jesus who saved, who really saved the day. That's the part that really, um, you know, bugs me when it comes to stuff like this. And then, of course, you got weird, you know, stuff like apologetics that are thrown in, like bringing up the question of evil. Like, why did you, why did my husband die and you lived? And, well, you know, why would God let that happen? And then it just goes nowhere. That just goes nowhere. They just love bringing up the question of evil and then never answering it in, in uh, bad Christian movies. So, yeah, the movie itself suffers a lot from what you would normally expect from people like Pure Flix or, um... You know, the people who made uh, The Star, uh, 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 what is it called, Affinity, something like that? Whatever the Sony wannabe Pure Flix is. But here, it's elevated by Topher Grace, which <laughs> you wouldn't think that. But yeah, Topher Grace, of all people, elevated this movie to being somewhat respectable by playing a really interesting character in the form of this pastor, he is there, he's kind of a uh, sort of wannabe hip youth pastor in the beginning. And uh, as, after the accident, he becomes this very reliable, caring, compassionate character who is there along with the parents to help them out in, you know, in, in you know, it's sort of a therapeutic uh, way as well to kind of be there as sort of uh, another person to help carry the load of you know, whether or not this kid will survive. And, uh, and you know, as much as uh, the mom is adamant that the kids will survive because Jesus, uh, the, the, you know, her pastor, who she, uh, who, you know, who we've introduced as being, her being sort of more of a traditionalist and uh, the pastor being more forward-thinking and, uh, you know, more trying to be, and trying to incorporate stuff that will, uh, bring more kids into the church, uh, you know, more kids into wanting to go to church, so to speak, you know, not to, you know. anyway, uh, they, you know, they come together, uh, in support of help in making, ensuring that this kid makes it out okay, and, uh, yeah, Topher Grace is actually the reason, is, is pretty much the main reason to see this movie, if you, aside from Jesus, you know, this is, you know, this is an Easter release. This is very much catering to the church-going crowd. Uh, as a regular moviegoer, you don't really need to see it, especially since it very much hinges on the idea that the kids was saved because of Jesus, when you could more focus on other other ideas, like the fact that the father was sort of having a crisis of faith, thinking that his wife was going too hard, being too hard on people. They hint at these real cool, interesting drama, dramatic elements, and then they then they go right back to praying in Jesus. You know, it's it's sort of, and it, it doesn't really answer the question, why did God save, the, if, if it is true, if the whole thing of God saving the kid is true, why? Why did God save this particular child if he is so, un, you know, once again, the, the question of evil. Why do bad? Why does God let bad things happen and not always? But then not always. Why? Why? What? What? You know? What determines whether or not God will intervene? These answers are not brought up. Um, 
I also got to say that as much as they kind of play it down, I'm guessing the real Joyce Smith in the uh, is probably really unbearable. Either that or they just made her off as really unlikable throughout most of the movie. The way that she is portrayed is very unlikable, honest for me at least. Um, I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure she's very relatable to other, you know, to more church going crap to more church going women, but. I really didn't like her. Even by the end, I just did not care much for her. And, um, yeah, it, it just... It, so much of this movie caters to the Christploitation model that caters specifically to Christians and specifically evangelicals. You know, the very, you know, all-in, Jesus-is-my-life sort of crowd. And that's not what I go see movies for. I don't go, I don't go to movies so I can go to church again. I go to movies to see her interesting stories and characters and see and see cool effects and see spectacle. I, I go to film. I watch movies for entertainment mainly. And then if there's a cool story or dark or deep moving themes, that's great. You know that yeah, that's what it's a, it's a it's a media. It's a consumable media. I consume it to hear story. You know, like I'm being told a story by my grandpa or uh, um, being you know regaled in a a. a a production of some kind and here it's not trying to do that it's mainly preaching to its audience it's preaching to the choir and i'm not into movies for that reason so i'll give it this it's better than most faith-based movies especially one we're going to get into but by behold being beholden to that genre it ultimately weakens what could have been an even better movie you know tober grayson said that what could have been a better movie and the, as well as little bits in the storyline, but it's so beholden to hitting all the marks of faith-based movies that it doesn't really go anywhere interesting with its premise. Disney Nature invites you to join an extraordinary couple Aww. fighting to raise a family in one of the most unforgiving and stunning places on Earth. Disney Nature's Penguins, Earth Day 2019. If you're noticing seeing a change in audio quality, it's because I just now remembered to plug in my microphone. And rather than re-record all of my thoughts on Breakthrough, I'm just going to keep plowing forward. So, yes, here we go on with Disney Nature's Penguins. Uh, as Earth Day came, uh, it's actually, I believe, Earth Day, the day of release here. Um, we got Disney Nature's, uh, Babby's first, uh, nature documentary, uh, and this time in the form of a deli penguins. It's covering the life of a, a deli penguin and it's narrated by Ed Helms. And, um, yeah, Disney Nature, as much as they wanted to try and place it as a sort of yearly charity event, it, <sighs> Disney Nature's documentaries have always kind of come off as not very good they want disney has always kind of had a history going all the way back to when walt was running the, the company of fictionalizing and adding alter you know adding a narrative where there doesn't need to be one uh for nature documentaries it's why they oh he's appealed to kids whereas you know things like the david attenborough series have always kind of more focused on just life itself rather than trying to feel the need to tell stories where they don't need to be one. You don't need to write a story based around, you know, footage of animals. 
you don't need to make up names or anything like that. But, you know, that is what it is. So Disney Nature's Penguins, I'm going to keep it short because there's not really much to say. Uh, it's got great camera work, but otherwise it's it's a kid's documentary. It's like, it's adding fictional elements. In fact, Ed Helms is allowed to do a lot of uh, improvisation uh, when he's portraying this character of Steve. And it it's ultimately just okay. You know, it's not terrible. It's not amazing. But... It's just kind of okay, you know, if you're, if you've got a couple of kids and they love watching animals and stuff, you know, these Disney nature documentaries are great for them, but not for anybody else. And I feel like that's a very, that's a missed opportunity. I feel like they could just as easily be for everybody, you know, they could be for all ages. They don't need to make up these narratives to tell a story that doesn't, doesn't need to exist. You know, they could just showcase the wonders of life and nature and all that, but you know, uh, yeah, these are just, you know, these are just ways to kind of placate to little kids. And that's who mainly was in my audience uh, for the few people that were there. It was mainly little kids and their parents. So, you know, if they get kids interested in nature and in watching more documentaries about nature, good. But, you know, I don't feel like it should be beholden to placating to little, little kids by making a, making up stories and telling the you know having silly voices and whatnot i feel like that's a disservice to documentary documentary filmmaking you know but you know it is what it is it's disney nature you get exactly what you expect from it uh it's basically a kid's documentary so rinsing I have thoughts on this one. Uh, the Curse of La Llorona, I had immediate distaste for when I saw it. Because the, the first thing I saw was white a white woman having to be explained about la- this, this uh, Latin folklore figure. And uh, having to be the focus of it with, you know, with the only real uh, Latinx elements being... Uh, supporting characters, namely her children, and then eventually uh, it turns out a sort of ex-priest turned, uh, like, supernatural fighter f- something or another. Uh, it's hard, to, it's hard to, he's one of those things. You know, he's basically Zelda from the from Poltergeist or, you know, your various other, you know, your various sort of here to fight the demon monster thing figure for the movie. And I think that's the problem, is that you've taken what is very, a very iconic Latin American uh, folk story. The story of a woman who uh, drowned her kids in an act of jealous rage and has since, you know, continued on in the afterlife to haunt and then become this sort of boogeyman figure. This, this figure that would come and steal children in the night and if and it's a sort of way to keep kids from from acting up and being bad and being more respectful to their to their parents and 
you could have had a cool story around that that dealt with a lot dealt with dealt specifically with Latin American uh, culture and you know specifically you know specifically Hispanic culture and you set this in LA and you've got so many um, Hispanic actors involved in these minor supporting characters and then you center on the white woman. You center on the white woman who just so happened to marry a Mexican, I believe, I want to say, uh, cop, and and is and is the mother of two children, and that's her connection to the to the to the whole idea of La Llorona, and it's <sighs> Whitey did not need to be involved at all in this entire charade, you know. This entire this entire endeavor did not need Whitey's involvement, and yet, in order to also tie it in, that's the other thing. Oh, that's the other thing. They make sure to emphasize in one specific shot and in one specific line de- delivery that this is in fact tied into the Conjuring universe. Oh, goody. Yeah, because that's what they needed in their Avengers of horror icon of of these horror figures is La Llorona. God, uh, it's just once again, you could you could easily uh, and there may have been for all I know there could be um, various horror movies centered on La Llorona uh, from Latin America, but I do, but I wouldn't know because they don't get a lot of release here, and I'd have to dig through the internet to hopefully find one, and that doesn't mean that they'd be any good either. It just means that they would be made by the culture that actually knows and res- and has affiliation with La Llorona. Uh, but yeah, this movie is exactly what I thought it would be. A generic by the numbers horror movie that completely disregards logic in order of cool uh, cool pop pop scares, cool jump scares. It's just it's no it's the worst parts of the of James Wan's horror style that that just now includes a classic Latin American folk story. And then, and I think that's the other thing is that it's so you had the opportunity to really incorporate this mythology into the story and make it really interesting and really compelling and tie it into the idea of loss and you know revenge and jealousy and it wants to but it's too inept to do that it's it can't do that in in this movie it's trying to do that but it at no point does it well in fact by the end of it you're just holding you're just holding onto your head going what the hell is going on because it's completely throw we've it starts throwing logic out the window so much that now you have no idea what's going on because they've stopped caring about what made sense and is now just trying to you know hit buttons on like oh this would be cool how to explain that we don't we just make it happen and nobody will care that's the that's the whole idea behind this is that the kids act so out of character and do so inanely stupid things that you would think they were white people (laughs) these kids these poor kids uh they do not they act they act so blatantly stupid in this movie you'd think they were white teenagers in a cabin in the woods Oh god. So yeah, this whole this whole movie is a wasted opportunity. And I'll say this. Compared to The Conjuring 2, the original Annabelle and The Nun, 
This is nowhere near as bad. This is not the worst in the franchise, but I think it's wor- but I think where it does make it worse is that it takes a what could have been an interesting premise and squanders it in order to placate this whole shared universe nonsense and make essentially the same movie just now with La Llorona as the villain instead of a and that's the thing. We're not I it looks like they're now teasing Annabelle, yo, Annabelle, Annabelle's Avengers or something like that <laughs> with the next one coming out this summer. It it really is just entirely asinine at this point. It's no longer horror. It, the only reason it's horror is because it has jump scares and violins. It is not scary in the slightest. It is the du- some of the dumbest horror I've ever seen. So yeah, uh, The Curse of La Llorona, I can't recommend you go see this. This is a lazy... Yo, continuation of this whole conjuring nonsense, and I this is a franchise I've never been a fan of, and at this point, I think we can kind of be done with it because there's nothing new it adds to horror. It's just the same. It's a it's a cheap uh, cash grab. That's you know that you know you make it on the cheap. Enough people are still into it to support it, and then you just keep the train rolling until the money stops. But there is no real creative effort put into it. It's just the same movies over and over again. So yeah, that's the worst shame of it all is that you could have had a cool, interesting premise and story and characters and instead you just made the same movie again. But now with La Llorona. And even then it doesn't do anything to have her. Way to go. I can't be a part of this anymore. Everything that they told us is a lie. Don't underestimate the repercussions of this. You gotta be careful. Rhonda, please don't do this! Rhonda! Let me tell you what's gonna happen if you walk through that door. Congratulations. You've made an enemy of one of the most powerful organizations on the planet. As bad as La Llorona was, uh, there is one movie this weekend that topped everyone in terms of badness. And shock of all shocks, it comes from Pure Flix. Ah, yes, Pure Flix. You taint of, an, of a movie company. You just absolute taint. So yeah, the latest Pure Flix is their first ever R-rated movie. And it comes from the lies of Abby Johnson. Now, for those who don't know, Abby Johnson gained a lot of notoriety by seemingly providing proof that everything that conservatives thought of Planned Parenthood was actually happening and that they were genuinely, you know, some kind of baby-killing factory, essentially. And all of her lies have been unfounded, and in fact, can a lot of them can have had polls poked into them by the fact that Planned Parenthood ha- keeps evidence of, you know, keeps logs of things that happen. In fact, the very, the very impetus of this movie, the whole idea that she left because she witnessed a late... Uh, like a late-term abortion happened in front of her eyes and she saw the baby, you know, fight back, quote-unquote. Uh, but by Planned Parenthood's own admission, they that, none of those types of abortions even occurred on the day in question. So Abby Johnson, for all intents and purposes, probably didn't eat, and by and by this movie's own showing, probably didn't even, probably, you know, probably never had a, change of faith she was always kind of like this so there was no reason to believe abby johnson's story she was probably just always like this and yeah i don't know i think she's just 
I think she's a charlatan. I think she's just hoping to uh, latch on to this whole pro-life movement and become some sort of heroine for it when ultimately it's just lies. It's all, it's none of it is verifiable. She doesn't have any proof of it. It's just her perpetuating the idea that conservatives have about Planned Parenthood and abortion. None of which is true. None of which it has any proof of it. And the way they talk about this movie, the way they talk about Planned Parenthood is like this corporation bent on killing babies for profit. There is no proof of that in the slightest. Like, there is no proof of that because, one, they would have to file those taxes. And even if they didn't, they would be, someone would have leaked where the Planned Parenthood offshore accounts are for the money made from abortions, which, what money, like, the, the, once again, the, the, none of her logic for how this whole, for how her version of Planned Parenthood works makes sense. None of it, none of it makes sense. But then it's not supposed to make sense. It's supposed to perpetuate the narrative that Planned Parenthood is Satan incarnate and it's killing babies, which isn't the case. Planned Parenthood is a health clinic that also happens to provide the service of abortion for women who choose to, women who believe they are not, you know, ready to have a baby. Or for a baby that, or for, you know, if the woman is in danger of, you know, losing her life because of the pregnancy. A woman, who, a woman who's not healthy enough to carry the baby full term. Or maybe the baby has had health issues already and it's not and it's not going to be viable uh, outside of the womb. There's so, you know, there's so many, it's, it's, abortion is a very complex topic. And in this movie, it takes all the complexity out to basically hammer in the point that you're killing babies, even though you're not technically killing babies. Because most, by the time most abortions happen, it's mainly just a clump of cells. It, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a fully formed baby by this point. It's not, it's not a formed anything. It's it's more, no more than a tumor, <laughs> ultimately, at least you know scientifically speaking. It's just that, you know, this is once again hammering home the narrative that conservative Christians have about life and conception, and uh, you know, the idea that you know the fact that you're killing something that doesn't even have consciousness yet is somehow killing a life because God gave it life, even though once again, when you try to try when you try to reason with it, it doesn't make any sense. But I'm not talking about the movie anymore because it's more interesting to talk about the fact that Abby Johnson is a filthy liar and a charlatan and everyone is bought into her nonsense. And now we have a movie dedicated to her bull, bull, almost almost said a bad word, her her BS, her her garbage story. And it is genuinely the worst movie I've seen all year. Genuinely. And yet it has been the most, like I have never seen a movie so inept that it made me laugh at an abortion scene until now. Yes. Yes, folks. Believe it or not, Unplanned made an abortion scene that it was supposed to be a traumatic, life-changing event for our main character into a laughable experience because they are so inept at trying to present the, anything beside... You know, they're so inept at what they're... at the basic tenets of filmmaking... So, the, the the scene in question is the opening scene. It's the scene that is the impetus for uh, Abby Johnson leaving Planned Parenthood. 
And it's it's a scene where she gets invited out for no real reason. There would be no real reason for her to go witness this abortion. There is no, that not only did it a not happen at that particular clinic at the, on that day at that time, it also doesn't make sense that she would be invited back there. There is no reason for her to be invited back there. And then the actual abortion that is happening where you see on the ultrasound that you see the baby fighting for its life and and like trying to cling to the wo- walls of the of the uterus and it, it and it looks like something out of a Looney Tunes cartoon like no no please please don't let me go don't let me go no, no please 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 ah, what a world what a world that's how bad it is you think I'm joking go watch go watch the CGI of the ultrasound. That is so very clearly CGI because it doesn't act because it doesn't it doesn't act like actual there's no there is no reality in this ultrasound. It is absolute fiction that Abby Johnson has concocted to fire up the you know conservative pro-life Christians. It is such nonsense. And then and then we go from that to the flashing back. To Abby Johnson's... Why... No. Why talk... Why do things in a linear fashion? Why start at the beginning when we could start with the day that changed everything? But before we move forward, let's go all the way back to when I was first recruited by Planned Parenthood and tell the whole story in flashback. Oh, God. Lazy flashback. Ugh. Then... So, yeah. During this whole flashback, we learned that Planned Parenthood in uh, Gulf Tech... In the Gulf of Texas, you know, the Texas Gulf area is run by essentially Corella DeVille, who is adamant about uh, making sure that they perform as many abortions as possible and admits to Abby that abortions are their moneymaker. Quote, you know, quote from the movie, McDonald's doesn't make it, you know, paraphrasing from the movie, McDonald's doesn't make its money off of the burgers, it makes its money off of the fries, about fries and drinks. Fries and, I think fries and soda. Um, and this Cruella DeVille fictional character tells Abby that abortions are Planned Parenthood's fries and drinks because that's what makes them their money. Which doesn't make any sense if you know anything about how Planned Parenthood is structured, but this isn't based in any sort of reality or logic. This is all nonsense. So I think part of it is just hearing the nonsense being spoken on a, the big screen of how conservatives think Planned Parenthood is run is, is jumping me from being absolutely livid with how is of how un you know how in poor in bad faith they're presenting Planned Parenthood and how terrible it's it's portrayed it's so inept it's making me laugh but what they're trying to get across is absolutely despicable so and as things go you know the whole and then most of the flashback the only other thing of note is when abby johnson has one of her abortions it's through the, a pill and like there's a whole like horror scene out of a horror movie where blood and cl- and just clumps of 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 matter are coming out of her uh out of out of her body and it's played off like a horror movie but it's also once again so inept that it made me laugh because pure flicks is completely inept at, at basic filmmaking so 
it's everything about this that's supposed to make me feel certain things made me feel the opposite because they have no idea what they're doing. And, uh, and throughout all of this, Abby Johnson is narrating everything so that we get the point. We make sure that every, every you know, all of the tenets of this, of the pro-life movement are met through Abby Johnson's narration. And it's absolutely unnecessary and just is bait, is bait, it, the whole narration is unnecessary and is only there to further placate the pro-life Christians that they are in the right. So, once again, this whole movie, this whole movie is wrong, and it's, what it's trying to say is the truth, is, is false, and it's absolutely despicable what they're trying to, what they're doing here. And then on top of that, it's so despicable, there's despicable, but they're so inept at, at trying, at being, ba at basic filmmaking, that it's absolutely laughable. So... It is kind of like the Trump administration of movies when you think about it. It is absolutely inept and laughably inadequate, and yet everything it's trying to do is wholly despicable and and dis and just the and just showcases the worst tenets of humanity. That's this movie, and not that's basically this movie. Absolutely inept and unable to be, and unable to do anything right. And yet, everything it's trying to do is also the most despicable thing you have ever seen. So yeah, un so far, Unplanned is the worst movie I've seen all of 2019. We'll see if anything can top it. It's got all that's a low, low bar to get under. But yeah, this is not only one of the worst movies I've ever watched this year. That's probably one of the most. This will probably be in one of the top ten worst movies I've had to watch for this podcast. So watch it at your own risk. Don't pay money to go see it. If you, ha you know, if nothing else, do not pay money to go see this movie. It does not deserve it. It is absolutely despicable. So we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we're gonna be talking about uh, the last three that I've seen this this week after the Mustang and the Public. You want to hear four badass women discuss and dissect modern and classic horror films. Join us at Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, a good ghoul's guide to horror. Oh! On the Gummy Cat Network. Don't read the Latin. Do you know that in the world of the insane, you will find a kind of truth more terrifying has to do with Hardy. Something's going on, but it's not what you think. You're making a big mistake. It's gonna break your heart. What are you dreaming about? 
in the week where I, I here's the thing for these movies they were all playing uh, aside from uh, I saw La Llorona with my nephew and I saw Breakthrough at my usual theater um, which is a Cinemark and then everything else I saw all the other five uh, were playing at, most of which were only playing at this one Regal uh, that's not too far from me. And it's it's mainly because it has 18 screens, so it has the space for these movies. And Regal is actually more willing to showcase uh, indie movies. Like though I know there's a re- most Regals are not exactly the best theaters. I specifically prefer Cinemark, and uh, in terms of like the concessions, like Regal popcorn is really is is not very good, but. Um, but as you know, but as a theater chain, that they will show more. Like I saw Shin Godzilla at a Regal Cinema at a Regal Cinemas. Uh, not whereas Cinemark, the best it does is like they'll, they'll tie in with Fandango for events sometimes. But they very rare. They mainly only show at least the Cinemark near me will only show the new releases. You know the major big name releases, uh, which is something I'll give Cinemark for. Which I'll give a Regal Cinemas for uh, is that even though I don't like their concessions, they their theaters are more willing to have one of their slots open for an indie film and for a small budget film rather than just have everything catered to to um, the studios and to the Hollywood b- big productions. Uh, at any rate, um, I'm saying all this because uh, after is one of the movies I saw at this Regal. And I think it's only playing at that one regal by this point. And in the same in the same uh, day that I saw Unplanned, I swore after was going to be in that same vein of just one of the worst things I've ever had to see. And I was surprised to find out that it's actually just boring. The basic premise here uh, for this movie is much like Fifty Shades. It started off as a fanfic, and the fanfic was about Harry Styles from One Direction. And so the movie went, did through, the writer of that fanfic turned it into the, did like E.L. James did for Fifty Shades and turned it from the fanfic into its own narrative, which is not inherently a bad thing. But what they made, but what was advertised here looked exactly like the same issues I had with Twilight and Fifty Shades, where it's just like, play, you know, catering towards the idea that abuse in relationships is fine and in fact it's sexy. And that it could, it's just going to be another very problematic, very terrible young adult romance story. It's definitely not good. And it's not, but it's not exactly problematic either. In fact, it's barely problematic because barely anything happens. Like nothing happens in this movie. Um, the main thing about this movie is that they make Ray Fine's son, and that is Ray Fine's son. Uh, he played a uh, young young uh, Voldemort in, uh, young Tom Riddle in uh, The Half-Blood Prince. Uh, He's now all grown up, and he's essentially playing a Robert Pattinson clone. Straight up, hair and makeup make him look look like Robert Pattinson, a Robert Pattinson clone that never fully coalesced. Just like the main actress in here uh, looks like a Kristen Stewart clone that never fully finished forming. So, uh... This yeah, throughout this movie there are shots and there are especially um, makeup and hair hair stylings that make it specifically look like it's ripping off Twilight. So it is a full on Twilight ripoff, only without any of the supernatural elements that gave Twilight sort of 
that extra edge over everything else. It's just a generic young adult romance story now. Uh, the premise here being uh, a sort of bookish, nerdy girl uh, visits, starts attending university, and sort of falls in love with a, and then ends up falling in love with this, you know, smarmy, smug, self-satisfied jerk character. And, and so, and like, the whole point is that after they hook up, everything falls apart. But not really? Like, barely anything really happens during this whole thing. And then the ultimate twist about the truth behind Harden that's that's that was the name they couldn't just i get not wanting to tie it directly to harry Styles, so you change it you could change it to henry you could change it to hank you could change it to so many other things harden like that's that is such a harlequin romance name harden get it because he makes he's so hardened uh he used harden <laughs> uh but the big twist there if you're as old as i am and you know, and you've seen this plot before, you know exactly, you, you, it's not a twist. It's not shocking at all. It's like, oh, it's like that other movie where it was actually set up and and it was more of like a dramatic uh, irony sort of thing. Whereas here it's just like, oh, big twist, ooh, but it doesn't really amount to anything. In fact, <laughs> the character... Once upon revealing, realizing the twist, it does exactly what all characters in that situation do, which is like, hey, everything I know is a lie. Instead of being like, well, wait, what? Yeah, you like she has no con concept of like, oh, hey, maybe these people are awful, and they're tr and they're not, and they're trying to make me unhappy. Oh no, this thing I do, but like, so much of. This thing relies on lack of logic and lack of basic human reasoning, which I get because, I mean, we are dealing with college students. But even then, like most college students, I think, are over this petty high school. This makes more sense in high school, I think, than college. But they couldn't get away with some of the stuff without it being in college. Uh, but yeah, so much of this movie is just boring. Like... There are red flags about Harden being an abusive uh, boyfriend, but they don't go anywhere and it never amounts to anything. So it's just kind of there because, oh, he's so edgy and, and angry and angsty. <sighs> he, is the, he is like Sasuke from that Naruto anime you so like. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, like the only thing I could really give this movie is that it actually shows them using condoms. Like, hey! A sex scene where they actually use condoms. Neat. They actually practice safe sex. Good on you. <laughs> but, I mean, compared to Twilight, compared to Fifty Shades of Grey, this is boring. This is this is a nothing of a movie. It doesn't amount to anything. All the problematic elements that made Twilight and Fifty Shades stand out and made people criticize them and, and talk about them, they're gone here. So there's nothing to talk about. It's just nothing. It's a nothing of a movie. So, if you're into hot people having sex, okay, I mean, sure, but ultimately, as far as, far as stories go, 
it doesn't really amount to anything. There's nothing really happens in this movie. And I think that's the worst part of it. So it's not as terrible as unplanned because it's not wholly despicable. It was just a waste of my time. Use it to get some food, maybe a room. You're gonna offer me money and then tell me what to do with it? How you know what I need? <laughs> tell them this is a peaceful demonstration. Look, why don't you just hand the phone to the guy that's doing all the talking? I don't want to talk to the police. <laughs> <laughs> I was shocked to see an, a movie made by Emilio Estevez take place in Ohio. Uh, not my part of Ohio, the other side of the state, down in Cincinnati. It's all filmed in Cincinnati. It takes place in Cincinnati. I'm not sure why they picked Cincinnati, though. It's odd. Uh, I mean, it's appreciated. You know, more love for more love for my state. But it, it, it was an odd choice to go with Cincinnati. Um, uh, the premise here is Emilio Estevez is a librarian at a uh, at the Cincinnati Public Library and that particular branch also caters to the local homeless population and allows them to shower there allows them to stay there out, out of the cold during the winter and um, a, and then as as they reach an, a massive cold spell the homeless population wants to stay in the library so that they don't freeze to death out in the streets and um they for they 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 um they have an occupy so they they occupy the library because they refuse to leave after closing because they don't want to be out in the cold and die they want they want people to know that you know there's a problem here and that they need to be paying you know that this problem needs their attention so emilio estevez inadvertently joins them after um after it turns out but after the uh, lawsuit came out where he and another uh, and one of the security guards escorted uh, one of the homeless people out um, and a law and some lawyers came back saying that they were he was uh, he was he was denied his freedom of speech rights under the First Amendment by being kicked out of the public library for smelling too bad for being a, a, for having an offensive body odor and being asked to, and so being asked to leave because he smelled bad, Denied him his freedom of of speech. It's a very complicated issue. I mean, that's that's one of those things where it's like our library our library um, is not going to deny you your rights, but if you but we still act ask that you um, you know present yourself in a way that that is not you know that doesn't affect everyone else's rights to be there as well. You know, it's very and, and you know, they don't shy away from the fact that that's a complicated issue. But this had inadvertently cost Emilio Estevez's character his job. Uh, and so he decides to go all in on this occupation because he has nothing left to lose. But over the course of this whole thing, we find out uh, how uh, Christian Slater plays a prosecutor vying for the, vying for the, vying to uh, become the mayor of Cincinnati. And he wants to go full in, bust heads, you know, cra you know, cr crack down on this whole thing because he's a law and order kind of uh, guy. He wants to he wants to crack down on anyone breaking the law. And uh, Alec Baldwin plays a detective who also works in sort of um, um, 
conflict negotiation, and he's sort of brought in to kind of see what he can do to to uh, stop it non-violently. And sadly, it's a lot of ideals. It's a lot of heady topics that it wants to discuss. But it's not a very well-written story either. And it's, it's sadly not a very well-written story. Um, like, it wants to talk about the opium opium epidemic. It wants to talk about police corruption and brutality. It wants to talk about uh, fake news and news spinning things for notoriety and and ratings rather than for honest and rather than for their truthfulness. And not to mention the fact that it wants to tackle homelessness and the fact that nobody's doing really anything about it, especially when so many homeless people are veterans. And then the story itself surrounding all of these ideas and themes it's pretty boring, actually. Like, nothing really happens, ultimately, here. Um, in fact, the, fir- uh, uh, the first act was just painful to sit through. It was so dull. And it gets it gets better once the um, occupation happens. And there are some great one-liners. But it never, there's never a point to this whole movie. It, it, nothing really comes of this story. Uh and, and then the whole ending, the the way it ends is just kind of silly. So, I mean, like, what was there to gain from this whole endeavor? I think that's the whole thing is that Emilio Estevez once wanted to tackle these topics, but he didn't have any way to tell that story that centered on all of them. So we just kind of ended up making a movie that was more focused on the themes and wanting to start the conversation rather than tell the story, tell any sort of meaningful story. So I think that's this movie's biggest downfall is that it has no real story to it. No, you know, not a compelling story, at least. It's more wanting to tackle the themes and the topics at hand. And, you know, it has a great cast. You've got Taylor Schilling as a sort of love interest. You've got Jenna Malone as his co- as as his co-worker, a fellow librarian. Jeffrey Wright is the head of the library, is the sort of like his boss of the library, and he's great in it. Um... Christian Sater and Alec Baldwin, I mentioned. Um, Gabrielle Union plays the news anchor uh, covering their story. So, I mean, you've got a star-studded cast, but ultimately, the story doesn't amount to anything, and it doesn't really go anywhere. So, whatever themes he wanted to talk about, I mean, we could talk about those themes a day in and, you know, sunrise to sunset, but I'm not here to just start a discussion i'm here to talk i'm here to see a movie i'm here to see a story being told and the story i'm being told is kind of boring especially the way it's presented so yeah i mean i commend estevez on wanting to tackle heavy topics but you gotta give me a story to go along with it dude you can't just rely on the topics themselves to carry the story you have to have a meaningful characters and interesting and, and an interesting you know you know plot to go with it. It, it, This doesn't really amount to anything. I think it's just kind of flat and boring, sadly. So I love his aspirations and that he wants to discuss these topics, but he has no real idea of how he wants to talk about them through the, through the course of this movie. So I can't exactly recommend you go out and see it, especially since I don't think it's getting really any theater play. Uh, So don't feel the need to rush out and see this, but if you catch it on like Netflix or Amazon prime, you know, try it out. If it, if you're bored like I was throughout the first half of the movie, then I don't blame you for clicking away. There you go. <laughs> I was a kid. 
and you left me alone. It was an accident. You think riding horses can change anything? I'm not who I used to be. Our last review for this week is actually one that I've been seeing a lot of praise lopped on uh, to it. It's a European filmmakers, a writers and director, um, inspired by actual programs uh, that teach inmates how to train horses out in the out west, uh, specifically California, Nevada, uh, Arizona, New Mexico, and I think maybe Texas. Uh, the Southwest is basically where it happens, and the and the story here takes place in Nevada. And our lead character is sort of just this angry, violent sort of guy, very quiet, not much, he's not very talkative. And it's sort of a redemption story of how he redeems himself through training this wild Mustang that supposedly nobody else has been willing willing or able to um, to break or to train. And I think the thing about it is is that it's very dry. It's very it's a slow burn and it's very dry. So, what you know, learning more about the you know, it's like somebody telling you a, a story that's but he's very quiet and doesn't really get to the point a lot. So it he just kind of rambles on a bit, and I think that's kind of how this movie is. It's definitely it has that European feel. It definitely has that feel of like um, a European style film, like the Cold Pursuit did, or um, you know, you know, when a lot of European filmmakers come to Hollywood and make a movie, they still have that style about them. And it's just not a style I'm all that into, honestly. Unless there's something really interesting being told with it, what, you know, just that style of filmmaking is good, i just not a fan of it is all. Uh, I think for the story also, it just kind of meanders a bit i mean the whole idea of this convict being redeemed by the training of his horse training of this mustang is interesting in the way it plays out but everything is so everything is sort of soft and not really not really like you know like there's a point where one of the characters is uh shivved you know is killed in the prison is you know by a by a shiv at I think it's shanked is the verb when they get stabbed, but the shiv is the weapon. But I'm not familiar with, you know, prison terminology. Um, but yeah, one of the characters dies after that, and we don't really feel anything for it. You know, there's not a lot... It's not like we cared so much about this guy that when we watch him die, it's just sort of cold and distant. And I think that's my problem with a lot of European-style filmmaking is that it's very observatory. It's not very involved in the story and the characters it's very much like we are witnessing it happen and we're sort of observing it instead of instead of being involved in being involved with it and that's not true of all european films obviously but i but there's there's an underlying especially from like the northern europe uh specifically like scandinavia and parts of france that french filmmaking i think the filmmaker of this is french uh, they have a te- they have a tendency to go very off you know you know offhanded you know distance themselves from the story and make it very observational and that's just not what I that's not the kind of film I'm into you know if I wanted to watch a documentary I'd watch a documentary I don't want to watch a narrative like I'm watching you know a live vlog or something like that you know 
I don't want to watch just matter of fact the story happening. I want to be, I want to feel something at least, you know? So I didn't, I think that's my biggest thing with the Mustang is that I didn't really feel anything with it. Like I'm supposed to be feeling, you know, triumph and tragedy and all these things. And I don't feel that with this actor or these characters. I just feel blah. I feel like, yes, this is in fact a thing that is happening. I've made this um, comparison before. And once again, it's because of the difference between European and American filmmaking styles. And once again, it's, yeah, it's very high-minded and it's very, um, you know, very much uh, caters to the intellect, where, uh, but it doesn't cater so much to emotion. So, yeah, it's a, it's a technically well-made movie, but it's not one that I would, ap- you know, recommend people go see or that I would ever watch again, honestly. You know, there are much better stories. Like, I would much rather watch, like, The Shawshank Redemption or The Green Mile. You know, something where you feel something for those characters on screen rather than this story where it just was like a thing that happened. So it's an interesting thing that happened, but it doesn't really amount to anything, ultimately. Uh, I said that a lot for a lot of these things because so much of this movies, the movies this week have kind of been boring and uh, not really not really did anything for me personally uh, watching them. But, you know, I'm glad I watched some of them. Uh, Mustang, honestly, is my pick of the week because nothing else was as good, <laughs> technically. But, um, and then, of course, Unplanned is my uh, Unpopped Kernel for the week. But there just really isn't anything. There wasn't much. This was a blah week. Nothing really happened this week. It was just kind of, it just kind of existed. So, you know, I don't hate myself for having seen most of these movies, you know, aside from Unplanned. But... You know, they didn't really add anything to my life. You know, they didn't really spark joy, so to speak. And I think that's the key thing for this weekend is that I did see a lot of movies, but not a lot of them. I don't think I'll ever watch any of them again. So uh, with the reviews out of the way, let's go on to our normal, our regular topics. First up with the box office report. And now the popcorn junkie checks in with this week's box office report. Looking at the top seven this week, uh, even at the top ten, uh, Penguins couldn't even break that top ten. So I think people are, have kind of, you know, shown that they just aren't in... These Disney nature documentaries don't really do anything for them. And then dropping out of the top seven, we have um, Us, which finally dropped from seven to nine. And um, so now we're looking at the, looking at the top seven as it is. Uh, we have Pet Cemetery at number seven, down from number four, bringing in $4.8 million this weekend, bringing its domestic gross up to 49.5, and its worldwide gross up to $95 million, which is which is very good under its for its $21 million budget. It shows a lot of success for it, and I'm glad. Uh, Dumbo dropped from five to six, bringing, its, bringing in $6.8 million this week, uh, bringing its domestic gross up to $101 million, and its worldwide gross up to $308 million. So it's slowly making back its money. More of the foreign markets are into it than uh, America is. And I think that's because they're more beholden to thing, you know, old Disney properties than we are. Uh, Little dropped from 2 to 5. Big drop for it. Um, bringing in $8.4 million this weekend, bringing its domestic gross up to $29 million. And it's worldwide growth up to $34 million. So it made back its budget, so it's not a full flop. but And it looks like it's about to at least break even uh, in the next couple of weeks. We'll see. 
next up is Captain is Marvel's Captain Marvel, which jumped from six to four in the lead up to Endgame, um, bringing in nine point one million dollars this weekend and uh, bringing its domestic gross up to four hundred million and its worldwide gross to one billion ninety million dollars. So, uh, still don't still riding strong, Captain Marvel is, but we'll see what happens when Endgame comes out this week. Spoiler on what's going to be in the trailer talk. Premiering at number three is Breakthrough with $11 million. Um, thanks to its Easter Day uh, early release on... Well, thanks to its early release on Wednesday, it brought in $14.6 million uh, domestically, and worldwide has brought in $20.5 million. Uh, no budget listed on Box Office Mojo, so let's take a look at Wikipedia... It cost fourteen million to make, so it's already it's already made back its budget, and should and should probably make back its money overall uh, within the next couple of weeks. So it did fine for itself. Uh, number two is last week's number one, Shazam, brought in seventeen point three million dollars this weekend, bringing its domestic gross up to one hundred twenty one million dollars and its worldwide gross up to three hundred twenty two. So it's not as wildly successful. Well, it's also how long has it been out compared to the Captain Marvel, um, it's been out for three weeks, Captain Marvel's been out for seven, so we'll see where Shazam is in a month, but it's not, looks like it's probably gonna peak out at $500 million, but hey, that's good for DC, at least, that's, that's at least a good mark, you know, it's not, like, billion-dollar success, but hey, it shows that people are going back to see this one, and then premiering at number one, to the surprise of no one, is The Curse of La Llorona, bringing in $26.5 million domestically, and over and worldwide, fifty six and a half million dollars. So, I'm wondering. Um, no word yet on where most of that money is coming from, but uh, it had a budget of nine million dollars. So, expect even more of these. Con this Conjuring franchise is never going to go away ever. So, whoopee. Well, now that we're done with the week that was, let's take a look to the week ahead in trailer talk. Coming this summer. It's Trailer Talk. Rated R starts Friday. Like I mentioned, there's really only one movie coming out this weekend. And it's the one that everyone's been anticipating since last year's Infinity War. It is the culmination of, ev of all the first three phases of Marvel. We're, this is it, folks. We're in the endgame. Let's take a look at that trailer. I like this one because it ties back into the, like, first Iron Man movie and, like, the first Captain America. It's, like, a reflection on how far we've come. And the, and the color uh, thing, where it's, black, where it's black and white and then part highlights of red... A lot of people were wondering if that was Kate Bishop. I think that's just his daughter. Uh, Kate Bishop being the replace the uh, second Hawkeye from the comics, but she's getting her own uh, Disney Plus show.
Oh yeah, just in case you forgot, here's everyone dying. Yes, hero. I like her. Another. <laughs> uh, That's my initial thought. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, Endgame. Can't wait. It it, it took uh, it took forever to um, get my tickets, but uh, that was because everyone was clamoring to get their tickets. And most of the, the most of the show, there were like four showings plus the three D, uh, uh, maybe four or five plus the three D showings. Uh, at my theater, at my local theater. So my nephew and I, in order to get decent seats, have to see it in 3D at like 10 o'clock, but doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. We're we're seeing it. Can't wait. So pumped. Thursday can't come soon enough. Ah, uh, yeah. So yeah, uh, that about does it for this week, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us through our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, you can favorite us on your uh, browser and whitelist us. Make sure to whitelist us on your ad blocker and let and be sure to check out all of our other fine programming here. Um, Mike and I are working on bringing back Machi Day. Donna's uh, heading over all the stuff at Snarcast, the Beyond the Cap in the Woods, once more with Feeling, the family business. Um, and in fact, uh, we... If you yourself are a podcaster and you would like to join our lovely little bud, uh, uh, budding network, uh, you can do so by sending us an uh, email at gumbycatnetworks at gmail.com and show us what you got. Show us what you've got. And uh, we'll see if you're a good fit for us. So uh, any and all inquiries about that, go to gumbycatnetworks at gmail.com. Uh, and then if you uh, listen to us on your mobile device, uh, we're available on just about every uh, podcasting platform. iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Um, and then, of course, uh, on through PyCast, you can also donate uh, to our tip jar, uh, the personal pop, pop, popcorn junkie tip jar. Uh, that's all set up through PyCast. And if you still want, like nobody has done it to date. But if you want to start, you can do so um, by donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash popcornjunkie. Um, I believe all one word, popcorn junkie. Let me double check. Patreon.com popcorn junkie. Log in. Log in.
Yeah, paypatreon.com slash popcornjunkie, all one word. And you can gain access to all the new episodes as they come out. And then um, there's a, there is a back catalog of Patreon-only content. Uh, the 10 Munch Along and uh, Make a Better Movie segments. And um, I talked about this uh, since I had to cancel the uh, retrospectives in their original uh, state. Uh, I'm going to try and focus on waiting for those to come out on DVD and for the for the DVD releases of Detective Pikachu and or or, or, or possibly the theatrical release of the Mewtwo Strikes Back Evolution and then the the uh, DVD release uh the home video release of uh Godzilla King of the Monsters um in the lead up once those are announced I'll look into uh restarting the retrospective and make it patron only make it for make it for people who want those extra rather than doing them separately. So um, I'll look into that. If you're interested in those, uh, you can do so. You can uh, let me know. Um, and then, of course, you can always donate to patreon.com slash popcornjunkie to help suggest content for the show yourself. All that information is there. Um, there are no tiers. It's just pay as you, pay what you can. And then you can suggest content for either Much Alongs, uh, Make a Better Movie, uh, Patron... Uh, reviews for the podcast and then um maybe even future retrospectives like when disney plus comes out maybe a retrospective on all the disney animated movies who knows so all so stay tuned to that um and make sure to leave a five-star rating and review and let people know that you like the show that they should check it out too uh you can also find us on social media facebook.com slash popcorn junkie twitter at corn junkie pod instagram popcorn junkie podcast and uh stardust i've been doing the um the retrospectives there, uh, the Pokeathlon and the uh, Kale to the King through Stardust by doing quick reviews for all the movies. And then um, so that you can get my not my uh, thoughts on them there. And then uh, if you want full releases of, of my thoughts, full um, episodes, you can you know, start donating to either Leaving Tips and Pinecast. And that's at uh, the tip jar is at pinecast.com. Slash popcorn dash junkie, I believe. Let me pull up the tip. Okay, it's tips.pinecast.com slash jar slash popcorn dash junkie. It's, it's an odd one. I'll share it through um, social media and let people, and then, uh, you know, you can donate. You can start leaving tips in, in the Pinecast jar or uh, donate to Patreon, whichever you feel more comfortable with. And then, uh, you know, you, I'll I'll make sure the podcast has the uh, up episode, the much along and uh, make a better movie episodes there as well, and then uh, yeah, that'll be it for. Uh, and then uh, you can that's that's your way of showing your support for the show to help us get help us not only keep functioning but also to expand and grow. Uh, and if there's anything else you want to say to me, any kind of feedback you want to give, any kind of uh, uh, thoughts you want to give on the movies I reviewed. Um, anything like that send all of that to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com and make sure if you want me to read it on the podcast that uh, leave it either in the subject or in the message that you give me explicit permission to do so otherwise i'll simply paraphrase and uh that does it for this week's episode until next time i'm john bailey and this is it folks this week we're gonna reach the end game
theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio. N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. Here's the thing. If you don't know the premise, the premise is basically um, it started off as a much like. Uh, you done? Are you done? Can you not? Mama Boot just decided to play with the wires on a on one of the keyboards I have, and so she is playing, smacking the wire and making noises. Are you done? Are you done yet? Can I go back?